Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, Episode 46. Is everybody in the world going to die before someone finds the answer? Do I have to remind you that theory is the beginning of solution? What are we up against? Is it a dangerous thing? ever known to be true is a lie. I didn't say it would be easy, I just said it would be the truth. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Welcome to Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander where we break away from religious systems and man-made dogma to learn the Word of God from an independent Hebraic perspective. And now your host, the prophecy buff who tackles the tough stuff, Alexander Lawrence. Hello and shalom. This is Watchman Alexander. And this is Terry Arnold. We've been doing this Laying the Foundation series for quite a while now, but we're getting toward the end of it. Um, this week we're going to talk about Canaan and his sons, his offspring, and the part that they play. Probably the next episode, we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel and the nations being divided, uh, really the, the nations being created, different people groups uh, springing out of Babel. And then after that, we may touch on two or three uh, different topics that we know we're going to need later on. Um, and that's probably going to span uh, a number of different books of the Bible. We're going to jump around from place to place related to those topics. But then after that, I think we're going to wrap up this series. So, yay, getting close. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all want to get into the meteor stuff, right? But the problem is you try to do that and then you don't really know what you're doing. Um, nobody loves the beginning portion of any kind of a study. Well, I mean, hopefully we do. Hopefully we we enjoy the journey. but. There's also this impatience that oftentimes comes along with that, where you just want to have it under your belt so you can get to the bigger stuff. And uh, if you're still with us, I praise God for that. Um, I'm really proud of you guys for hanging in there because the things that you've been hearing are hopefully really going to lay down some blocks that we're going to build on later. And um, you're going to reach the right conclusions as a result eventually because you have this proper foundation. It's not going to shift off in the the wrong direction as you're studying and carrying heavy loads later on. We're still in Genesis chapter 10, and we left off at verse 8, so we're picking up from there. Okay, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who, began, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why I said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Calneh in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Ludites, the Anamites, the Lehabites, the Naphtahites, the Pathrusites, the Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, 
uh, Zimmerites and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are extremely interesting and pivotal. And we're going to come back in the next episode and we're going to start talking about those verses. We're going to break them down, look at them very carefully, and we're going to start to bring in some extra biblical sources that explain more about who Nimrod was, because that character is incredibly important in all of prophecy, even up to, most likely even up to the end of the age. We're going to have to debate this a little bit and talk about whether or not Nimrod is the same as this other character. I think he probably is, but if he isn't, then he at least played a role in launching the career, you might say, of this other character that's very important named Asur. And Asur was mentioned in this passage as well. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's hard to tell whether or not it says from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, or it says from that land came forth Asur and built Nineveh. And that can make a big difference in how we understand who Asur was and who he is. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff in scripture about Asur that we're eventually going to get to. And so we need to know something about him um, in this foundation series. But we'll talk about all of that stuff next time. What we are going to concentrate on this time are verses 15 through 19. And that has to do with Canaan and his offspring. Yep. Now, Canaan had a lot of offspring, but who's listed first? this firstborn, Sidon. Right. And Sidon is arguably the most important of all of his offspring. And anybody who knows anything about Near Eastern history knows the name Sidon. And that is something that we need to talk about for a little while. Yeah. So um, certainly what, what Alex is saying there about Sidon is right, right? This is from Sidon, we get the Sidonians, as in like Tyre and Sidon who even in Jesus's day, he mentions them and they are used in, in his day as an example of a very wicked set of people. Um, when you get to the days of Ahab, uh, before the days of Jesus, they, he's, he's uh, learning a lot. Ahab, who is also an evil king, um, he's learning a lot from the Sidonians, right? Um, wickedness is definitely deep in Sidon, this uh, firstborn son. But not the only one. Uh, there's some others here, the, the Hittites, or um, in, in Hebrew, the Hachiti. A lot of time when we see ites as an ending for words, it normally actually ends in, in the actual Hebrew, it ends in just E instead of ite. Uh, that kind of was a, like hopping over the languages. We got ites on our side for English. So uh, for instance, it's the Jebusi or Yebusi, or the Amorites is really Emori, um, and the Gergashi and, and so on and so forth for these names, which is weird to me. I'm like, almost, I'm almost like, it's probably easier to say the regular <laughs> than the ites. I don't know. Uh -huh. The ites kind of weird. Um, but these people groups, um, particularly Sidon, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, 
Um, and then there's some stuff about the Girgashites. Now, the other ones we hear a whole lot less of, the Hivites and the Archites, the Sinites, and the rest of this list. We hear a whole lot less of them. For the most part, you're going to care about Sidon, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and Girgashites. The Girgashites, um, they are an interesting one because they pop up here. And in the other ones where God has given his promise to Abraham about the land he's going to give him, and uh, the Girgashites appear in early list of the seven nations that they have to cast out, but then not in later ones. And then uh, some Jewish rabbis and traditions say that the Girgashites, when Joshua came into the land and provided and said to them, hey, uh, if you move out of the land, we won't, we, come, we won't come and take it, right? Because as we talked about last episode, the Canaanites are not supposed to be in this area of land. It's supposed to belong to the descendants of Shem. Um, that the Girgashites may have actually left at that time when they got the warnings uh, before Israel actually went into the land and that they actually just got up and left and went back to their actual uh, tribal allotment. So that's an interesting subplot there. Um, But some of these other ones are even bigger than that. So Jebusites, that's the people of Jebus who live uh, in modern day Jerusalem, right? Um, so it, it's from them. They are the, the last to go on this list as far as uh, Israel coming into the land and getting it again. It's not till the days of David that the Jebusites are even a, really dealt with in any kind of manner. Even still, there's still some that remained after uh, uh, the city of Jebus, a.k.a. Jerusalem, was taken. Um, and so that, that is still a part of the, a big part of the story. Uh, and then Amorites, uh, the Amorites, when you talk about uh, another big, huge prototype of just an, an evil group of people, the Amorites are used for that. In fact, when God is speaking to Abraham later, uh, a few chapters from now, about uh, what's going to happen in the, in the future days of Abraham with his descendants, he tells him that the reason, one of the reasons why his descendants are going to have to go and be basically captive in Egypt for all those years of slavery. It's because the sin of the Amorites specifically is not full yet. Um, and when you're familiar with the actual conquests of Canaan uh, in Joshua's days, the Amorites are the biggest and the baddest, like both right, in very literal terms, they're the biggest and baddest uh, guys that have to get kicked out when they get into the land. All of the biggest battles that we think about have something to do with Amorites. And um, well, I actually probably should take that back and say that we think about, because I think typically people think, oh, the Battle of Jericho, and then it was all over. But there's battles that follow that that are much larger and actually more significant to the taking of the land. And those actually have to deal with the Amorites, um, as well as the battles with during the days of Moses before they get to the Western side of uh, the River Jordan, uh, those are also against Amorites. So you have like King uh, King Og of Bashan, and he's literally a, a huge giant. I think they said his uh, like his casket was something like oh, I want to say 12, 15 feet long. Um, like assuming he doesn't have a bunch of you know goodies stored up in his casket, uh, they were saying that I, I think on account of his size. So was it the casket or the bed? That bed was it, I think it was the bedstead. I think it said bedstead, which I think some people translate as casket. Others just say bedstead. 
Okay. Well, either way. Yeah. He's huge. At this point. Yeah. Um, And so all of these groups at the the front end are are particularly important. Um, Even the the Hittites, um, they have some some more cameos later in scripture as well. That's right. Yeah. And we'll talk about those different clans a little bit. But first of all, I want to focus in on Sidon. Sidon was the father of the Sidonians, as Terry said. And the Sidonians were the earliest civilization in the Levant. The Sidonians turned into what we now know as the Phoenicians, which were incredibly influential in the history of the ancient world. Uh, Phoenicia gave us, uh, well, (laughs) we don't have time to go into all of the contributions and the problems that the Phoenicians caused, but we get a whole lot of stuff from them. In fact, the word Bible comes from the name of one of their cities, which is in the region of Tyre and Sidon, um, those cities not far from there. The Sidonians really were responsible for building many of the oldest cities and the megalithic structures that we find in the Levant. I think personally, there's an argument to be made that Sidon was deified uh, either during his life or afterward, I don't know. But I think that he became known as the god of the sea, Poseidon. I'm not sure what the prefix Po means. And this is an area I really have to research. That's why I I say it's just a theory. I'm not trying to um, to convince anybody of this in, in any significant way right now. But in my head, this is what's been floating around, that Poe is a prefix that indicates something like Lord or King. And, um, and Sidon is the one who was responsible for um, creating this great seafaring civilization that later became the Phoenicians. They were well known for sailing the Mediterranean and even beyond the Mediterranean out to the western part of Africa. Uh, and there's a very fascinating theory being proposed, um, and I, I don't know actually who first put this out there. I only know of some other people who have picked it up and run with it and gotten a lot of attention, a lot of views on YouTube as a result of digging into this theory. But there's a place called the Rishat structure in western Africa, northwestern part of Africa, just south of the Atlas Mountains. It's made of these concentric circles, and it looks very much like it might have been Atlantis. I mean, it, it really fits the description of Atlantis. And uh, I'll put a link to a video in the show notes that will take you through this theory and um, give you the various pieces of evidence that seem to really support this, that uh, sea levels rose and wiped out the city that was at that location and then lowered again. Uh, at some point afterward. But that whole area was very, very lush at one point in ancient history. And um, it would seem like it was a a great place to identify as Atlantis uh, because it is right over there with the Atlas Mountains. And why are they called the Atlas Mountains? (laughs) Well, one of the sons of Poseidon was named Atlas. We don't know that from the Genesis account, but if that's true, that Atlas was a son of Sidon, then it would make sense that the the Atlas mountain range would be over there because Sidon, like I said, he created this civilization of seafarers and they would have followed the Southern coast of the Mediterranean all the way around to Western Africa. And that mountain range could have very, very easily been named after one of those sons of Sidon that decided to, um, to dwell there in that region. But that's all theory. I don't know if that's, if that's true. What I do know is that ancient sources, uh, Greek historians especially, do tell us that the great people 
the mighty ones, the renowned ones of the ancient world were deified after their death and they were worshiped as gods. And so with, with that linchpin in our understanding, we can take some of these names and associate them with the names of gods. And it, it doesn't seem like too much of a leap to me. Yeah, I mean, certainly phonetically, it, you can make that jump. Um, and then also with those phonetics, right? We're talking about Phoenicia. If you look at the Wikipedia article, there's a good picture of areas in the Mediterranean Sea and, and around it that are associated with Phoenicians and Phoenician languages. Um, it's certainly it's a Canaanite religion. Um, I'm looking here and, and it goes like all the way over. There's little spots, uh, certainly starting with the, the Levant area and then Cyprus and then all the way over to, uh, I forget what that peninsula is, but the uh, Spain, like Spain and Northern Africa along those coasts, you see spots where they have their influence. So certainly it is a, a plausible thing that these are the, uh, some of the connections that we have here. Hold it right there, Watchman. Get a cup of tea. It's time for Everything Under the Sun when we take three minutes to hear from the Watchman's wife, Amanda Lawrence. On today's episode of Everything Under the Sun, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read you a children's book. Yeah, you heard that right. When we had our son, my job gave me a board book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. So gather your children or grandchildren around or just sit back and relax for the next couple of minutes as I read a very basic but very sweet children's book. The Wemmicks were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and gray dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village, sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones got stars. Wemmicks with rough wood or chipped paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinella was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell, so the Wemmicks would give him dots. When he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, so the Wemmicks would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I guess I'm not a good Wemmick, he decided. So he stayed inside most of the time. When he did go outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a different kind of Wemmick named Lucia. She had no dots or stars. The Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. So he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go visit Eli the woodcarver. Why? You'll find out if you go see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello wondered. Later, at home, he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other dots and stars. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. Punchinella walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. His stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. 
How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course, I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. You shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think. And I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I'm not very talented and my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinella off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinella was leaving, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. The end. Don't worry, I spared all of you using the different voices that I usually use, but um, you could absolutely still tell that I got choked up. I just love this book so much. So I just wanted to share it so that again, if you guys have um, kids, grandchildren, children of friends, uh, or know anyone who is expecting a new baby, this might be a good book to already teach them some foundational thing about the love that Yahweh has for us. Until next time, you can reach me at thewatchmanswife at gmail.com. So on this topic of Canaan and Sidon, there's a really good, but really dense and difficult to digest book by David Flynn. And David Flynn has passed on. Um, his brother, Mark Flynn, is also an author and writes <laughs> equally dense books. But um, his stuff is so well-researched. Now, I don't agree with all of his connections. I think sometimes he tries to make too many connections and um, ends up just making stuff up, but he really has gone far back in history and connected a lot of dots. Um, and from a biblical perspective. So I like his books a lot. The one I'm about to read from is called Sidonia, the secret chronicles of Mars. And he writes a lot about the origins of the Sidonians and the meaning of Canaan. Uh, and so I wanted to read just a little passage here. I mean, there's there's whole chapters about it, but uh, one section here I thought was worth mentioning. He talks about how uh, Canaan is related to the name Cain, um, as in the first son of Adam and Eve. I'm going to skip that a little bit, but he does make that connection and uh, says how both names are related to the term for merchant or trader. And the Old Testament uses that word Canaan in that capacity. Uh, so he mentions Hosea 12.7 and Proverbs 31.24.
um, where the word merchant is literally Canaan, and associates that a little bit as well with the Hebrew word meaning lance or spear, um, and the affinity and, and a play on the affinity of the word kana, which is cane or branch as well as merchant. So those are some interesting um, word associations there. But then he says this. In earlier chapters, it was found that the Romans called the Canaanites Canaanai, or Canaorum, close etymologically with the Latin word for the female dog, Canarius. These Latin words were traced to their origin from the Greek Cuna or Cunus, meaning the dog star, called by Homer the Hound of Orion. Um, and that's from the Iliad 2229. Let me stop there and say Orion, the constellation is a remembrance of this, this mighty demigod, Asur. Okay, and um, Asur became Osiris. Osiris is Orion. Okay, the Greeks remember him as Orion in the sky, but uh, Greek historians make that association in some of their writings between Orion and Osiris, and thus Asur. Okay, so keep that in mind for later. He goes on to write, Ekuna is also Greek for watchdog or more commonly, a guardian of the servants, agents, or watchers of the gods. In Hebrew, the names Canaan and Cain are used in the sense of buying and selling, activities of the Greek Hermes, Egyptian Thoth, and Roman Mercury. The versions of those deities through time in various cultures carried with him the rod or caduceus and was also known for the sciences of navigation, mathematics, astronomy, and writing. Homer mentioned these skills as belonging to the city of Sidon with great praise in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And so he writes, and now he's quoting Strabo, who was speaking about Homer. And Strabo writes, The Sidonians, according to tradition, are skilled in many beautiful arts, as the poet also points out. And besides this, they are philosophers in the sciences of astronomy and arithmetic, having begun their studies with practical calculations and with night sailings. For each of these branches of knowledge concerns the merchant as shipowner. As, for example, geometry was invented, it is said, from the measurement of lands, which is made necessary by the Nile when it confounds the boundaries at the time of its overflows. This science, then, is believed to have come to the Greeks from the Egyptians, astronomy and arithmetic from the Phoenicians, and at present, the far and greatest store of knowledge in every other branch of philosophy is had from these cities. And if one must believe Poseidonius, which is just a historian or a writer of some kind that has a name that's similar to the name of the god we were just discussing, Poseidon, the ancient dogma about atoms originated with Mochus, a Sidonian, before the Trojan times. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying there's a connection between merchants, well, three things, between merchants uh, or traffickers and the seafaring civilization of the Sidonians, and also the dog, this, uh, this symbol of Canaan. If you'll think forward uh, to the New Testament with me, to the incident of the woman who um, had a, a need and she went to Yeshua and was asking for healing and she was a Canaanite. She was not an Israelite. And he said to her, it's not fit to give the bread of the children to the dogs. And yep, she replied in a way that was very faithful. Um, she said, yes, she didn't deny that, that um, identification. She said instead, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table, from the master's table. The reason that he would have called her dog, he wasn't just being rude. 
He, although that was how <laughs> the Canaanites and, and other foreigners were thought of by the Jewish people at that time. But Yeshua wasn't like that. He didn't go around giving people those kinds of labels unless they really deserved them. I mean, he called people things like serpents, but that's when they were operating in that paradigm of the serpent, you know, their father, the devil. But he didn't just go around being rude like that. He would have called her that because literally Canaan is associated with the canine species. Um, there, there is a dog or a wolf association there with that person, Canaan, and all of his offspring. Right. And just to back that up some more, right, when you read in Matthew uh, chapter 15 for that account, he ends that whole discussion giving a praise to this woman, which is greater. Um, there's only one other person whom he commended for their faith uh, during his walk, which was, also happened to be another Gentile person. Um, and he said to her, Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment because she was coming because her, her daughter was possessed by a, a demon. Um, you know, and if you actually back up the verse 21, we can bring this together some more for us. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. So this woman is one of the descendants of Sidon, um, you know, a very long ways away from that for this particular account. But that's exactly what Alex is tracking on. Um, And this kind of addressed something which I, I know we've tried to touch on before, but Something we we definitely want to get rid of as an idea is that somehow automatically from your, uh, if you're descended from this or that person in this list, that you automatically have a curse that's on you uh, that can't be dealt with by Jesus. This passage here addresses that idea directly, right? It, It means you still have to have humility, just as this woman who was a Sidonian had. You still have to have humility when you come to Jesus. And the more you're able to lean into that, you can get uh, you can get just the food from from the master's table. It just might come in a different way, right? Um, and that that is something that I definitely want to touch on while we're here, right? Because we wouldn't have this story unless that was important for us to understand and know as well. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter your lineage. Hey listeners, I'm going to interrupt right here and I'm going to close out this episode and go ahead and make this a two-part show. This became a longer episode than I expected, so I think it's best to just cut it in two and we'll finish up next time. Thanks for joining us and until next time, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Watchmen out. Watchmen out.